Training leaders is our theme tonight. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Uh, we're just going to look at the first seven verses of 2 Timothy 2, a classic passage on leadership training. Listen carefully, friends, because this is God's word. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. That far, the reading of God's word. Those of us who are working sometimes think about retirement. Especially if you're over 50, you may be thinking more about it. Where will I go? What will I do with the time that I'm currently spending working? And after the stock market plunges and roller coaster, we may be wondering if there's going to be money to retire at all. Some eagerly anticipate being finished with a job that they don't find very rewarding. Others have goals that they want to accomplish to get the organization or the family business to a, a place where it's going to offer important service to the family, to the community for years or decades to come. Well, imagine for a moment that retirement found you in prison, shackled, that some of your key lieutenants have been drawn away from you by your duties, and others have gone over to the other side, that they've become enemies to the cause that you shared. Suppose further that you've come to the conviction that this imprisonment will only end in your death. How would you respond to that situation? Well, that is Paul's situation as he produces this, the last probably of his letters, 2 Timothy, written to a young pastor whom he had trained in ministry. According to, to tradition, this second imprisonment of Paul did in fact end in his death under the emperor Nero. And so as he faces the end of his earthly life, Paul has some important lessons that he wants to communicate to this spiritual son of his. And one of those lessons is this. Training leaders transforms lives. For 20 years, Paul has been the principal leader of Christianity outside the land of the Jews. He's traveled widely, preached the gospel, planted churches, and trained young men like Timothy to carry on after him. But soon he's going to pass from the scene. And then what? What will become of these churches that Paul has suffered so much and worked so hard to establish? Will they survive? What will be their future? And who will take up the work after him? In light of this background, Paul's words in verse 2 grow in significance. The things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be qualified also to teach others. 
In order for the church to grow and thrive, it must have well-trained leaders. Paul trained Timothy in the truth of the gospel, but more than that, in methods of ministry, in how to go about evangelism and leadership. He calls on Timothy now to seek out a third generation of leaders who will carry the church forward beyond Timothy's time. But Paul has an even bigger future in view. He wants there to be a fourth generation of leaders. And so a certain characteristic is prized in the third, and that is the ability to teach others. As we enter the third millennium of Christian history and the third century of the modern missions movement, the need for a chain of leadership links in missions has never been clearer. In many parts of the world, God has granted amazing fruit to evangelistic efforts. The growth of Christianity around the world in the last century has been nothing short of stupendous. Listen to these statistics. In 1900, the year that my grandmother was born, there were in the entire continent of Africa just nine million Christians, two hands full. Today, there are upwards of 350 million Christians in Africa alone. And statistics nearly as remarkable could be produced for Asia and for Latin America. God has done some amazing work in this last century of mission advance, and he's not finished yet. In 1900 again, less than 20% of the world's Christians were found outside of Europe and North America. That is Africa, Asia, Latin America. And today that figure is at least 60% and still rising rapidly. And even that figure is based on a very optimistic reading of European Christianity. In 2013, the vast majority of Christians in our world are Africans, Asians, and Latin Americans, people of different hues and different cultures than we. Now you may say, wonderful, fantastic, praise God. And then after a while you might think, oh, wait a second, if there's all those Christians in the rest of the world, if so many Africans are following Jesus, and so many people here in Elmhurst, Illinois, aren't, then can't we sort of leave world missions to world Christians, and we focus our attention here at home? I mean, there's plenty of non-Christians in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our own families, right? So maybe we should just stop sending all these missionaries elsewhere. I could just leave you hanging here, couldn't I? Come back next week, or maybe one of those other people in Mission Emphasis will answer this question for you. Well, since this may be my only shot at you, I'm going to just have to press on and, and try to respond to that particular question. Well, the growth of Christianity has been stupendous, but it has certainly not been even. I reflected this morning at uh, Fox Valley on the challenge of unreached people's ministry. Romans 15, a great passage for that. Because, you see, there are people groups that a hundred years ago, no one knew the name of Christ, where today they're a majority Christian people group, where everyone on the street just about will tell you that they're a believer. But there are plenty of other groups, at least 10,000 of them, where few or no Christians exist, unreached people groups. And that would be a great topic for a sermon, but it's not this one. 
because this one is about leadership training. And that's a key need even in, and maybe especially in, places where there are lots of Christians, where the growth of the church is roaring along at a fantastic pace, far outstripping the leadership training resources present in that community. And so one of the key tasks of missions today is training leaders, and doing so in contextually appropriate ways, not assuming that the kind of education that we give our pastors is the kind that everyone needs. There's an often quoted statistic that in Africa, just 5% of pastors have what we might call a Bible college education, and only 1% have gone to seminary. And sometimes the, the response is, oh my, you know, we, we need to train those other 99% and get them up to this level. Well, no, that, that's not really the goal, because that would provide them with a, a kind of education that would not fit them for their context, for the task that's before them. And so as we think about how to go about training leaders, we have to think about what sort of people they're ministering to, uh, what sort of setting uh, they're in. And so lots of leadership training resources are being developed that are contextual, that fit the environment that the churches are, are uh, living in. This task is huge. The vast majority of pastors in Africa have very little training. They not, not only don't have a Bible college education, in many cases they have next to nothing. And in Latin America too, a person of deep faith and spiritual gifts may be pushed into a position of leadership uh, with, without adequate understanding of the Bible. So what can we do? Well, training leaders does transform lives. I asked a seminary, uh, Mexican seminary professor some years ago, the churches in Mexico are growing by leaps and bounds. What can we gringos provide? What, what, what is our role in that setting? Training leaders, he said, is key. At the highest levels, is most valuable, but uh, at, at all sorts of levels. There are eager and ardent candidates for ministry, but, but we don't have the resources to train them all. Dan Kuyper began his ministry in Mexico in 1980 as a Christian Reformed World Missions missionary, and he did frontline evangelism, church planting in Mexico City. He was there 10, 12 years, I think, and, and then he came back to the U.S., he taught Spanish and Bible at a Christian high school. He planted a Hispanic church in, of all places, Sioux Center, Iowa. You may be surprised to learn that Sioux Center is 25% Hispanic today. There are lots of people to reach out to there. So, but then he was called back into missions, but this time not as an evangelist and church planter. Instead, he's teaching at two seminaries in the city of Juarez, Mexico, right across the Rio Grande from El Paso. It's so a challenging environment. Uh, if you pay attention to the news, you know that Juarez is the murder capital of Mexico. Bodies are found on the street on a very regular basis. And Dan is, uh, you know, maneuvering in and out of that uh, community regularly, training leaders. And I had a chance to visit there a few years ago, meet some of these folks. Uh, remarkable in many ways. Some of them have amazing conversion stories to tell. Others were, were raised in the church by Christian families. A lot of them are more mature students in their 30s or 40s. 
They've got family responsibilities. There's no way that they can take off full time to study uh, for multiple years. It's, it's out of the question. So they study in the evenings, on weekends, as they can, getting as much training, as much biblical knowledge, and ministry skill orientation as they can get. And many of them are going to be planting churches and pastoring others. So that Dan, by his presence there, training those leaders, can impact dozens, hundreds of new churches in various places in Mexico and beyond. One of the people that I met when I visited there was a young man named Jonathan. And I said to him, Jonathan, what's your vision? What do you, what do you believe God is calling you to do? Are you going to plant a new church or pastor an existing one, music ministry, youth? What is it? He said, none of those. God has called me to be a missionary to Muslims in North Africa. I said, really? Why there? He said, I, I just have a passion to reach them. And, you know, look at my skin tone. Do you think I'm going to fit in there? And I had to say, way better than me. You know, North Africa is a place where a U.S. passport is a big problem. But for Mexicans, much easier to, to get into that environment, to blend in, to, to do ministry. And so training leaders in Mexico leads to ministry in a Muslim setting in North Africa, a place where, frankly, it would be very, very difficult for any of us to go directly. And this, this is where missions is headed, friends. Many of our missionaries are training people who are going to be serving in third countries. Uh, Unela in, in Costa Rica is sending out all kinds of missionaries. Our missionaries in, in Mali uh, were recently joined by a whole bunch of missionaries from Brazil. And in Sierra Leone, people from Zambia and Nigeria are serving. God is doing amazing things. And training leaders is the key to developing and growing that ministry. Henri is a pastor in Francophone Africa. Never been to Bible college or seminary. In fact, his ability to read is quite limited. He's not in a capital city. In fact, he's in a village outside a provincial uh, town. So there aren't even any part-time uh, training resources for him. He can't go to that evening class or Saturday or whatever. So what can he do? How can he get trained for ministry? He's been pushed into leadership. He, he's a man of spiritual gifts and willing to sacrifice for the gospel in ways that frankly are embarrassing to the rest of us. But how can he grow in his ability to, to communicate the gospel and his understanding of it? Well, in that provincial town is a pastor who had the opportunity to go to France to study with uh, Harold Calamine and, and others to come back with that first-rate education. And after he did, and he looked at the situation of these village pastors, he said, you know, Harold, can you come down to Burkina Faso? And, and the two of us maybe could do a, like a modular course, one week on, on stewardship or on pastoral care or preaching. Harold said, sure, we can do that. A curriculum was developed, modular courses, one week of intensive work together, and then maybe three months later, come back again for a second week. Seven courses were developed. Timothy Leadership Training is the name of this material. It's now being used in 50 countries. God is using this 
to meet the leadership needs of pastors who simply would have nothing else if this kind of material wasn't available to them. God is training leaders to transform lives. Now, of course, training isn't just about knowledge or ministry skills. It's also about virtues, uh, about personal characteristics. And Paul is very concerned about those things developing in Timothy, his protege. And he provides three analogies to show the importance of those personal characteristics that Timothy has to live out on a day-to-day basis and to teach to those under his leadership so that the chain of leadership links is not broken, but it carries on into the next generation and then the next. And these traits must characterize Christian leaders today wherever they are, whether it's Toyo Senkyo Church in, in Tokyo, Japan, or Faith Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. From the soldier, the Christian leader must learn focus. Now, some of the commentaries, the older ones especially, suggest that this verse is saying that pastors should only pastor and not do secular work. But it clearly does not mean that. Most pastors in most of the world and throughout most of history have been bivocational. They've had to work another job in order to make a living and do their ministry on the side. Paul himself, when he ran short of cash, went back to his work of making tents, right? That's how he supported himself in ministry. And it's common around the world. It's a great privilege uh, that I have, and Greg has, of of serving full-time in ministry. So that clearly isn't what it means. Then, what does it mean? Well, it seems to me that what Paul is really talking about here is a focus, a single-mindedness that is to characterize every Christian leader, not just the paid professional pastor, but the elder, the deacon, the Sunday school teacher, the gems leader, the youth leader. All of us who are charged with leadership, with training, with care of others in the Christian faith need to have a focus on their spiritual development. Every one of us who's a parent needs to have that single-minded desire to see our children grow up in Christ. That's what Paul is talking about when the soldier has not a, a, a distraction in mind, but a focus on the growth and the development of those under his care. The competitive athlete knows that there are rules for competition. There are standards for training. And one must be disciplined according to them in order to achieve, in order to succeed. One of our children is, uh, is a daughter who was quite the bookworm. Uh, we you know, had to kind of push her out the door to get her involved in any sort of physical activity. And then one day, for reasons that I still do not understand, she decided to be a cross-country runner, of all things. And out she went, running the highways and the byways and the neighborhoods and ran miles and miles. She was disciplined and focused. Once she got into this, she set her mind on it. And, you know, she was blessed with my athletic ability, which meant she, she was really behind the eight ball. But by God's grace and with a lot of determination, she got to be pretty good at this. And she kept improving her time, which is one of the great things about cross-country, by the way. You're mostly competing against yourself. 
She was disciplined, and she achieved because of that disciplined effort. And the Christian leader needs that as well. If you're the GEMS leader, you need to prepare. You need to get that lesson in place, in mind. You need to make those phone calls to make sure that, that, that things are in place and people are where they're supposed to be. That takes setting aside time, making sure that you, you don't allow other things to crowd out the important work that you're doing in the spiritual growth of others. And it also requires the hard work and the timely inputs that are exemplified by farmers. Friends, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I didn't know a lot about farming. But then I was a pastor for six years in the little town of Raymond, Minnesota, directly across the street from the grain elevator. I got an education. I spent some time with those farmers in their combines. And, and uh, of course, you got to talk to them at church afterwards, you know about grain uh, uh, prices and futures and all sorts of, oh my goodness, it was an education. And one of the things that I figured out is with farmers, if you don't get out there to cultivate at the right time, you can't do it later. The corn plants get too tall, it's not happening. You've got to be willing to do the hours. And, and especially in Minnesota, friends, when the winter is coming, you've got to be out there harvesting at harvest time. You don't work eight hours a day or 10 or 12. You work 18 hours a day. Uh, you, you know, the, the food was brought out to them in the combine. They ate and steered at the same time. So you've got to be willing to do that hard work. And there are seasons of life as a spiritual leader when you, you've got to be on the spot. You, you've got to be devoted and committed to that Sunday school class, to that cadet cadre, whatever it is, whatever your responsibility is, to be there and to do the task for whatever hours it takes. Because training leaders transforms lives. In thinking this evening about the implications of this passage, I focus particularly on the need for leadership training and missions. And that's my job. I'm, I'm a denominational missions leader. And I'm here to remind you of the important work that's going on and to say thanks for your generous support. I see that big uh, set of missionaries that you support. Uh, much appreciated uh, here at, at Faith Elmhurst. But also to say that focused, disciplined, and hardworking leaders are necessary right here. That in this church, in this school community, in, in this city, we need that kind of leadership as well. And making that happen, developing those leaders for the future, requires process. It requires attention. It requires mentoring. So this may be the moment, friends, when the Spirit is nudging you to think, yeah, there's somebody in this room, somebody who goes to this church, who's been an outstanding leader here, somebody who's got a lot of wisdom and, and spiritual depth and discernment, uh, I could learn from that person. This may be the moment when the Spirit is saying, go on over there. Invite him out for coffee. Say, you know, I I've got some things I'd like to ask you about. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You've been doing it for decades, for years, and, and you're seeing the need for the younger generation to step up to the plate. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 
That's what the apostle says to Timothy. That's what the apostle says to you. To think about developing leaders in this community, but also internationally. That is a huge, huge task of missions going forward. Many still need to know the good news. All people need to have their lives reshaped by God's word and spirit. And God chooses to work through a chain of discipline, hardworking, and committed leaders to bring about the development of his kingdom and the success of his church going forward generation after generation. Because, friends, training leaders transforms lives.